Welcome to the All Things Performance Podcast, where our goal is to stay hungry, to get better, and to move the meter. My name is Josiah Igano, and whether you're looking to improve physically, to get fed spiritually, or to challenge yourself mentally, we're digging deep to find those gems, and we're going to find them. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's go. Hope everybody's doing well. Welcome to the All Things Performance Podcast. Uh, I'm joined with my co-host, Derek Devine, as always, and we have a special visitor today. Man, I am so excited about today's conversation. We have former big leaguer, uh, Drew Robinson. Drew, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Appreciate you having me. I'm su- I've been looking forward to this, reconnecting with my guys, so uh, I'm doing good. Oh, man. Man, Drew, this, this is going to be exciting. There's so many questions that, that I have to ask you. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, for those of you who do not know, uh, Drew Robinson, um, in conjunction with ESPN, uh, created a documentary called Alive, and it, uh, it details the saga of Drew's life from a kid to a minor leaguer to a major leaguer um, to a pivotal point in his life where there was a failed suicide attempt. And we're going to be talking about that today, uh, amongst a lot of other things. And if you have not watched that documentary, I suggest that you do. It's a tearjerker. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's It's powerful. Um, viewer discretion is advised, especially if you have young ones. Um, but we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about a lot of heavy things that, you know, athletes deal with. So, uh, Drew, how does that sound to you, man? Sounds good, man. Let's get into it. I know, I know it's a heavy topic, but, um, as I've realized, it's a really important one. So I'm, I'm really happy to do it and I'm, I'm ready when you are. Yeah, man, that's good stuff. Hey, hey, before we get into it, before we get into it, I have a personal question. I have a personal question. I mean, you're a Ve- you're a Vegas boy, man. You know what I'm saying? Have you been to Allegiant Stadium? That thing looks like a starship, like a like a <laughs> like a what like one of those little mini planets on Star Wars. You know what I mean? Have you been to that thing yet? Yeah, I've been to it. The it's a giant Mercedes Benz is what I call it. It looks like <laughs> outside, it just looks like a huge Mercedes Benz with the black and the white neon lights. So. That thing is remarkable, though. It's really, really. <laughs> yeah, man, you can mess around and get lost in that thing, man. Dang. Yeah, yeah, crazy, man. It's man, have you been there? Good- I, 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 have, I have not been there, man. It looks like Cirque du Soleil performs out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Hey, Drew, real quick, man. Um, You know, obviously, mental health, one of your big things is end the stigma, right? End the stigma. Uh, mental health is a is a big deal. It's a big topic right now. Uh, we're going to get into that today. Um, I want to start from back when you were a kid. You know, I have a little kids right now playing little league. You played. You know, um, th- the game has changed, man. Even even since you were playing. Well, just to get right into it, what is one of the biggest lies right now that kids are being spoon fed, man? As it relates to their performance. Uh, their sense of identity, uh, their purpose as a young child. What, what, are, what are some of the biggest lies being told right now? I think it's a lie that most athletes tell themselves, whether they're whether it's like consciously or subconsciously, it's that there's there's a, like a perfect way to do things. There's like an end goal. There's like a there's always a more. There's always a more. And it's like that's that's really good for like fueling some desire to get better and 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 to like feel give you some energy and motivation to work on your craft but i think it's a very uh slippery slope because at some point that become can become detrimental so i think the the lie is that like focusing on like a goal or like a skill that you want to achieve or you want to like get to or whatever and like that just i think it creates this 
again, it's like a lot of times, and I say it's consciously or subconsciously because it's something I didn't realize I wasn't aware of that I was doing was there's always like a more, a more, a more. And there's like, it, it led to a never ending cycle of, um, I feel it like feeling of unfulfillment and like a little bit of a void because when I eventually got to something that I was working towards, I didn't even take time because I was just so like conditioned to want the next thing. So when mm. I got what I was working on, it was like, let me, okay, whatever. That, that's what was supposed to happen. Cause that's what I was working for. But now let me focus on what I don't have. And that's this next goal. And again, it kind of creates that, like, uh, that endless cycle, like that rabbit wheel uh, or the hamster wheel. Yeah. Uh, ever ending and i've been saying it a lot like obviously in baseball terms like when i was in little league i wanted to get i wanted to make my high school team when i was in high school i wanted to to, to either go to college or i knew i was able to go straight to pro so i either wanted to do that or go to pro to be a professional baseball player and then when i was in the minor leagues all i wanted to be was the next step in the minors and then eventually the big leagues and when i got there i didn't even take time to appreciate it because i was just so focused on trying to become a starter and if yeah. i would ever I would probably would have done the same thing and wanting to be like an all-star or an MVP. And then it would have been world series champion. And then maybe a hall of like, it just, it never would have ended. So I think the lie that we not, I think it's something that we tell ourselves that again, and sometimes we're not even aware of it is that there's always yeah. something that you want. It's like uh, happiness is everywhere, but where you're at or like fulfillment or contentment, all those things. So I think it's just kind of like a slippery slope concept of never being fully satisfied or fully fulfilled because there's definitely times where you can do it without getting complacent. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's something that kind of hits home with me with that concept. I think that's powerful because I mean, you can, you can literally take what you said and apply it to almost any domain in life, any profession, but it's baseball was that it's so universal. And it's yeah. something that, like you said, you can apply it. So like literally, your morning routine or like something as simple as like just a conversation with so it's like it's so applicable to everything um and again man it's like i think it's a the fear of if you take time to accept where you're at or appreciate what you've done or whatever it like it's a fear that you'll get complacent when that's not the case like there's always a middle ground there's always ends of the spectrum that yeah most of the time living right in the middle is where you want to be so taking time to try to get more out of yourself and get like the, get the most out of yourself, but then also taking time to appreciate where you've gotten to, because like I said, at one point in your life, you probably wanted everything that you, that you have right now. Exactly. Um, Cause when you get there, you, you always condition to want more that you, you don't even take time to appreciate that. Yeah. I think, I think that's powerful, man. Um, and it, you're right. It is universal. And I think that when you start looking at baseball, it's almost built in, it's built into the, into the, into the pie. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you know, rookie league, uh, 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 short season, uh, double A, triple A, you know what I'm saying? Big league. And just like you said, on down the line, it's, it's insatiable, man. It, 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 it never ends. Um, you know, one of the things that when, when I looked at your documentary, when I watched your documentary, first of all, man, thank you so much uh, for, for being vulnerable and for sharing that, man. Um, all the things that you, you shared. Uh, and the work that you're doing now, I think we'd be, we'd be remiss if we didn't say thank you, because what you're doing right now is you are making it okay for people to be vulnerable, especially athletes, especially male athletes who are conditioned to perform at all costs, no matter what. And so, man, I just really want to say thank you for that, because it's opening up um, 
a, a lot of really needed conversations. Um, when you start looking, I start when I was watching your documentary. I want you to talk to us about family because I know family's big for you. And when you start looking at some of the research with birth order, usually the oldest kid is, you know, responsible, you know, he or she's been around mom or dad longer. The, the, the middle kid is, is, is independent. They're usually the peacemakers. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes they can, you know, be doing their own thing. And the youngest kid, usually, if you look at some of Dr. Lehman's work on birth order and others, the youngest kid is like the charmer, uh, is the one that makes everybody laugh, is, is the one that knows how to get attention. Talk to us, man. I, obviously, I don't know your, your brother or sister, but I know you, and I want you to talk to us about the family dynamic and how that played into who you were growing up, man. Yeah, well, I, so I didn't know, I didn't go into the full research like that, but the way you just described it, was so spot on with my family because <laughs> get the prototypical like we have the, the three siblings with the parents and stuff so um like yeah my sister she was at times like a third parent um my brother was he's always been like the the guy that was like the middle ground and he was also like kind of like the focus of the family for most of our life because he was just so gifted from from the get-go like he was always way bigger than everyone in his age group so for sports he was always head and shoulders above everyone talent wise and physical like appearance wise um and then me i just like especially because our family family dynamic eventually led to um, a divorce there was just always a lot of like wedging and like separation and like different um i don't know like going different directions with our family so um because that takes a toll on everybody at times i just wanted to like i was just peacemaker right like like you mm -hmm. said i just wanted to like to be the jokester. I wanted to like make people laugh. I wanted to give them a moment of joy. I wanted us to try to forget about some of the stressors in our, in our family dynamics. So, um, I was definitely like the attention seeker where I was like needing the attention for myself, but also like try to use that to like help give my family like a moment of joy or a moment of whatever the, the whatever they needed, um, with like some like laughter or some goofiness or whatever the case may be. And that, that definitely carried over into my my teens and uh, into eventual adulthood where I was just like the, the, the jokester of every, of every group and was able to kind of like use my, I guess the charm is a good word where I was yeah. just like happy go lucky person. And I was like, took things very light or um, kept things very light. Um, and it kind of like became a skill. Um, and then eventually, like I said, that kind of turned into something where I almost like beat myself up for because I felt like I was always just that. And I never mm -hmm. like actually got into things deeper than, than, than that. But yeah, my family dynamic, I was definitely the, the way you describe it from like the research standpoint, I was like pinpoint <laughs> my family. That's crazy, man. And, and, and Derek, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a rock to you here in a second. You said something in your uh, documentary, you said it a couple of times and you were referring to perfectionism, right? Uh, and when you start looking at some of the research behind perfectionism, sometimes, you know, it's one of those things where they want to keep their world small, right? Anything short of being perfect is not good enough. So they'll throw it all away. Mm -hmm. Um, people will think less of me if I'm not perfect. I have to be perfect at all times to be respected, right? That narrative that keeps on playing, you know, in our, in, in our head as perfectionists and, I want you to talk about your experience with perfectionism and maybe even tie that in with the family dynamic uh, and, you know, the slamming the, the, the bat in the dugout when you were a kid leading, leading through your career and just like this, this insatiable desire to be perfect and the good and the bad that came with that. Now, and I'm, I'm going to, I have a question that I want to, your uh, 
advice on as well. Yeah, man, I think perfectionism is such a perspective thing. Like <clears throat> I've gotten to the point now where, and I'm not there all the time, but I definitely have times and phases throughout my life now, especially after an incident that like, I am perfect. Like I'm able to say that, um, you know, in a non-arrogant way <clears throat> or ignorant way, <clears throat> sorry, but for most of my life up until my incident, I took it as like the way you just described it. Like if I'm not perfect in everything, I'm not perfect with my production. If I'm not perfect with my, my practice or whatever, I don't deserve success or I don't deserve, um, care or whatever. Like I, I just like had that idea, like usually what follows trying to be perfect is worthiness or unworthiness. And like, if you're trying to be perfect, um, and on most aspects, it's usually going to lead to unworthiness because, um, the unrealistic I idea of perfection is usually like literal, literal perfection in every aspect. So, um, it usually leads to a lot of like shame and guilt because you fall short of your expectations because perf a perfect expectation is just so unrealistic. So, um, it's just a really heavy weight to carry around because it's not realistic. So, and I didn't, and again, it was something that I reflect back on a lot because obviously I knew I had like some conflict and I was really uncomfortable a lot of times internally with my emotions and moods. And that's why I wore, like, I was aware of my heart, my sleep kind of guy, because I, mm -hmm. I had so many emotions and so many things because that I didn't address. So they just kind of came out in other ways from being pent up. So that's why I like, wear my heart, my sleep was like my character because when things went really well, it just like, I couldn't hold it in and I was like on top of the world. And then when things were really bad, again, I couldn't hold it in because I didn't have any way to like kind of uh, address them. I didn't have any like thing to fall back on because I was just leaving things a chance and just like solely relying on validation from others, um, being accepted, getting the attention and, and being told I was doing a good job and praise basically in baseball. So, mm -hmm. and I think that's something too, that comes into play with baseball since it is such a like everyday sport, even when you're younger, you play, so often he practiced so often. So I was constantly getting that, 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 that immediate feedback of like, if I did good, I got praised. If I did bad. Yes. Very clear. Like I did bad. Everyone knew I did. I knew I did. I didn't do what I was wanting to do. My coaches knew I uh, was able to like come and tell me I didn't do it well. So like I was constantly getting that feedback. So um, the perfectionism thing started to bleed into other aspects of my life where if I wasn't like the, perfect student, then I would just beat myself up. If I wasn't a perfect friend, I would beat myself up. Or if I like said something wrong in the conversation, or if I thought it was wrong, even if it wasn't like, if it just was a little subjective and it, I, I didn't think I said it correctly, mm -hmm. I'd go beat myself up because it wasn't perfect. So it just kind of like bleeds into all the different areas of my life. And the, per the perfectionism, like I said, is kind of a pers perspective thing at this point, um, because you can really look at it both ways where trying to be like, actual productive for, for, for perfect or just like accept that yourself accept yourself that i am perfect the way that i am and i'm just trying my best and it's like i like that it's like common sense but it's like yeah way because a lot of times something i say a lot is like emotions and feelings don't really care about logic but like yeah. logic i'm just trying my best and that's all i can ask myself and you're like yeah but 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 and it's like no there's no but it's like i'm just trying my best and that's all i can ask myself and even when I was trying to be perfect, I still made mistakes. So why not just like allow myself to learn from those mistakes and try to like push away mistakes. Yeah. So no, I like that. Yeah. But um, like I said, I, I kind of like an open book now and since yeah. I held things in for so long now, I just kind of like, I used to think about these things the same way without talking about them. So now when I talk about it, things just kind of like fall out of me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good, man. I, I really, I really like what you said about perfectionism in that you, you, you had, 
um, this disposition where it was not, it, you realize that it wasn't realistic. It's like, I'm trying to do this, but it wasn't realistic. And Derek, from a performance standpoint, when you start looking at perfectionism, because, because, because uh, Drew, I, I love what you said about, Hey, I am perfect. I just, I, I am who I am and I'm going to accept who I am. Right. I, I love that. But then there's a, let's be honest, like we're all athletes, right? You're an, you're a professional athlete that gets paid handsomely to do what you do. Right. And so it's like, we have to perform to in, in order to be accepted. And for my, my, uh, my question for you, Derek is, you know, at what point, you know, with perfectionism, yeah. is it like, man, okay, I'm, I'm good. Like I did what I was supposed to do. I'm good. Or were you kind of like drew where it was like, nah, there's, I no, I gotta, I got, I, I gotta keep reaching. I gotta keep plugging. I gotta keep building. Yeah. You know, talk about and, and with baseball, it's different, right? Because baseball, the grind is every single day. You're always being evaluated. You're always being scouted. There are transactions happening every day. A new guy comes up. That means somebody going down. You know how it is in football. It's a little bit different in that. Yeah. It's just like I'm going to put my heart on the field, hoping that, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm one of those 53 guys. Talk to, mm-hmm. talk, talk to us about your perspective on perfectionism. Well, like the I mean, again, like, like Drew Sharon, which is nice, is like the viewpoint I wish I would have had when yeah. I was playing, right? Is like, because I think that places you in a position to actually provide your best effort, you know, being that calm, that re- I mean, I, I just, based off what he's saying, that would have put me at a much calmer state and more relaxed state. Freed you playing, up. You know, and so for me, it was like, I was a, fr- I was a free agent. And so it was never, there was never an off season because my phone could ring at any moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's like, you, it would be nice to be one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL because there is an element where like, you know what? I can chill for a couple months after Mm -hmm. the season. They paid me too much money to get rid of me. I'm not going anywhere. So on and so forth. But for me, it was a constant hustle day. I mean, every single minute had to be used wisely because if, if I'm getting cut, I can't look back and say, well, it was because I was lazy or it was because I didn't do this or it was because I didn't do that. And so it's like, and for me, it was like, just looking back now, it was like at one point in time, I was one of the best 90 or maybe max hundred quarterbacks in the world. And it's like, but you don't look at that. Like it's not good enough. It's still not good enough. enough It's not good enough. There's only maybe a hundred other guys as good as me right now Yeah, on the planet. that's never good enough. And so it was like, it's, I have to make this team or I can't be seen by anyone. I don't want to talk to anybody. You have a bad day of practice. Uh, It's, it's almost, it would ruin your whole day until the next one, let alone a bad game. Yeah. You know, and then at that point you're on TV, it's like, I can't, you know, like how I play is whether I want to see people Yeah. or what, you know, like, uh, and so, you know, I wish football (laughs) was just a thing I did. Yeah. But it, unfortunately, it was the thing I did. Yeah, and and I know that, that was it. There was yeah, nothing else. Yeah, and I know Drew that you can relate to that. I love this conversation on perfectionism because one of the thing the the questions that I always ask people is: Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And there are there are there are multiple sides to it, and it can be good if you put it in perspective. And Drew, I want you to talk about this before we go to the next uh, question here about perfectionism. Is that one of the things that perfectionists do not do? Is that they have a, and you've alluded to this already without even knowing, is that they do not take the time to celebrate. Oh, I had a great week. I had a great month. I had a great game. Oh, man, you know what? 
hey man, I did pretty good. They it's next Bill Belichick yeah, yeah. on the Cincinnati. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's Talk, no, there's no reflection. There's no reflection. It's just like I'm going. It's like it's not good enough. Next one. They don't celebrate. I want you to talk to us in hindsight, Drew, about the importance of really relishing the, the present achievements and taking that in. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the way he said it, the next, like, yeah, it's so true. Like it's just my brain would just go to the next thing. And and I think it's kind of like what Derek was alluding to was with like, it's, it's crazy how, how your brain adjusts to something that you do daily. So like it, it felt very regular to us that we were in that environment, but like from the outside or again, from like the younger version of ourselves, all we wanted to be was in the position we were at. So being the top hundred quarterbacks or me at times I was playing in a major league baseball on a major league field in a major league batter's box. And I was totally convinced I was bad at baseball because comparatively I wasn't Mike Trout yet. See, that's uh, crazy, man. And yeah. it's, like, it's just like, yeah, I was in the top, however many number of players in the world at that time. But because I was around it so often, it was what I was or used to because I did it on a daily basis. It felt very regular to me mm-hmm. to be in that environment. But like from the outside or from a younger version of myself, like I'm and now afterwards, I realized that wasn't a very regular. Like I was blessed to be able to be in that position. Um, and it's something that a lot of people would give to be in that position or something that I tried my entire life to be in that position. But because there was a little bit of a, a different there's, I guess, levels where there's like me and like there was the, the all-stars and I wanted to be at the all-star level and I wasn't the Mike, Mike Trouts yet or whatever, whoever, what, whoever else I was comparing myself to, I was literally in the batter's box or sitting in center field waiting mm-hmm. for me completely convinced that I wasn't that good at baseball because I wasn't where I wanted to be. So, um, that like that obsessive desire to be pretty much anything other than I was or where I was at. Um, because there was someone else doing it better than I thought, or someone that was more put together or just whatever the case may be, whatever the comparison might be. Um, but the, but yeah, back to the idea of perfection, it's just like, it's, it, it just overtakes you and it gets you so far away from logic and mm-hmm. so far from reality that you don't even get to take time to appreciate where you've gotten to, because you're just so focused on getting somewhere that you think is going to make better. And then again, when you get there, you realize you get that maybe you might get a little hit of pride or, or of satisfaction, but then it's like a split second goes by and you're like, all right, I need to get to the next level of what I think it's going to be better. So not being able to take time to praise yourself is a, mm-hmm. is a really detrimental habit because, um, and I, I can obviously speak from experience, like there just needs to be a balance. And I think balance yeah. is an universal that you can kind of apply to any part of life, but like, there's always going to be the end of the spectrum. And for me, I try to just find that sweet spot in between these things of like, again, not getting complacent and being like, so like proud of myself to where I don't need to work anymore, but also not being on the other end where it's, I need to go, go, go. And I need more, more, more. It's like, let me find that middle yeah. ground where it's like, I want to get the most out of myself and try to get better in certain aspects. But I also need to make sure I take time to just be proud of myself. Because again, at one point, everything I ever wanted, like, I wanted everything I have right now. Like that's all I was working for was to get to the big leagues. Like at one mm-hmm. point I, I wasn't about being a major league all-star or major league world series champion. It was like, I just want to get to the big leagues. And then that's the that's first step, whatever. Um, then I can go from there. But like, I just never took time to, to appreciate I'm in the big leagues at this time. It's like, no, I'm not yeah. my child. I must not be good enough. 
the Rangers keep sending me down, even though I'm doing okay, I must not be good enough. Yeah. Uh, but no, like, let me just zoom out from where I'm at right now. Let me like stop being so like narrow-minded and just zoom out and be like, dude, I'm on a big league field right now. My nine-year-old self would be psyched. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Even if I was just a fan of the stadium, my nine-year-old self would be psyched. But the fact that I'm actually playing on the field, like, just be proud of myself for a little bit. And again, not let that lead to complacency, but um, just take moments here and there. And I think it's just, it comes back to the idea of balance. And it's something that um, I think a lot of people struggle with. And it's kind of like the saying, um, what you say, what you feel, and what you do is not that's like true alignment or whatever. Um, and that's like oh, yeah. That, Oh yeah. I think that's like very similar to that, the idea of balance. Um, and I think if, like I said, um, not taking any time to give yourself some praise only leads to a very negative or a very pessimistic, uh, view of things, man. I, I drew, that was powerful, man. That'll preach right there. I, 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 I'm going to go off script real quick. Okay. So for those people who are watching this, um, in full disclosure, Drew Robinson was drafted 2010, right? 2010 Texas Rangers. Yeah. Um, and, and I was the strength coach there. I don't know if I, I think I told you that I was, a, I was a strength coach there. And I mean, that, that class that we had, we had some studs, dude. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> you had, there was, I mean, you had you, there was uh, cafe Martinez, there was Odubel Herrera, Luke Jackson, you know, Jordan Akins, Braxton Lane, all these guys, you know what I'm saying? And, and I remember one thing, and I've never told you this, Drew, I've never told you this, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell it to you right now. Um, for me, one of the things that I always appreciate or when I, one of the things that I do is I, I, I like watching to see what people are going to do at their breaking point. I like seeing what people do when things get really competitive. And I remember even remember you, you remember those 115 degrees speed speed training days, Drew. <laughs> and and one of the things one of the things that I always saw with you, man, was that. There was always it, it seemed like there were all the always these the prospect guys. And for you, man, I always saw like this drive, like I'm just as good as these dudes. I'm going to be one of these dudes, but you never really said it. But I saw, I saw it. I was just like, this dude's a worker. And when people would ask me, that's what I would say. I'm like, dude, this dude's a worker. You know what I'm saying? And what did that drive you in terms of, cause you said when you're in the batter's box, you're thinking about Mike Trout, you're thinking about all these other cats. I remember as a strength coach, I saw that I saw the prospects and then I saw everybody else. And I saw Drew Robinson. It was, it was, it was, it was the non-spoken non-verbals, man. Did I see that right, bro? Or no? I would like to think so. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I just, I think it kind of started back with like, because like I said, my brother was always the guy in our family, like from an athletic standpoint, I was a late bloomer when I got to, my brother was like six foot in sixth grade, like Duncan in eighth grade throwing <laughs> 94 as a freshman or sophomore in high school. And then I get to high school and I'm like five, one 95 pounds my first day. And everyone's like, Oh, this is the Robinson boy that we heard about. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was like always supposed to be him. Um, and it was him, like he, he went and played professional baseball as well, but I was a late bloomer. So I always just felt like I was kind of living my brother's shadow. So I always felt like I had something to prove. I always had like a little bit of chip on my shoulder, like, no, I'm good. And it wasn't like a, a, a like a envious way. I just like, I wanted to prove that I could keep up with my brother, which kind of like created a, a character, like a characteristic or just a personality where I wanted to just prove myself. So. And it's kind of funny to think too, because like realistically, I got drafted in the fourth round, so I was a prospect pretty much from the get go. Mm -hmm. uh, but I never felt that way. I always felt like, again, comparatively, like 
there's a third round or a second round or a supplemental round or a first round or that was ahead of me. So I wasn't the top again, like when I was in the big leagues, there was mm -hmm. the Mike Trouts. So like, I always just had that kind of idea that there was like a next level that I needed to get to. Um, and I did think I, I use it to my advantage at times. Like I'll never regret how hard I worked on the yeah. physical. Like I, I genuinely worked really hard, um, physically and, um, and like practice and things like that. So I'll never regret that at all. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting because I, I took it, I also took it as like a respect factor, like the, the Rangers, believed in me they drafted me in the fourth round they gave yeah. me some money there's a, like people like you there's coaches out there in the heat with me like I owed it to them to give my best like they're not out there for just the just for free time like they're also trying to get something out of us they're also putting the time for us so I took it as like a, a sign of respect that if I wasn't working hard I was going to disrespect the people that believed in me so um there's just a lot of aspects that went into like my actual work ethic yeah. um, and I always had that chip on my shoulder and I definitely tried not to talk about it but if you were in the locker room with us more maybe you would have heard me talk about it and I'm more like, <laughs> like where I would like kind of say like maybe mumble, mumble, mumble under my breath to someone I was close to like man I could have been a first rounder or man, I, <laughs> but like I, said, I, I try to use it to my advantage to try to get the most out of myself for sure yeah no but yeah yeah I mean your 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 work ethic was unquestionable man and you always work man and 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 it, that's that's undeniable man um you know, when you first, once again, we're here with Drew Robinson, a former big leaguer, um, now turned mental health advocate for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, just talking about his story, we're talking about mental health performance uh, and, and all things uh, performance. And so, Drew, when you start looking at, let's talk about performance a little bit, right? And when you start looking at the professional, let's talk about the professional athlete. You can even put in collegiate athlete and nowadays high school athletes. Sometimes you can't even tell a difference. What is the danger, right, of many, I'll, I'll say it like this. A lot of athletes use their sport as an escape, right? It's an, it's an escape. It's like, oh, crap is going down at home. I ain't trying to hear it. I'm not trying to be part of the drama. Let me just get to the field. Let me, let me, let me just get to the clubhouse. Let me just get around my boys and I'm, I'll be good. And what happens is they get there, right? Throw on the, throw on the, throw on the uni, throw on the workout clothes, you know, go to the game, compete. And then when they get home, they're dealing with the same thing, mm -hmm. right? And they're suppressing, they're drinking it away, smoking it away, yelling it away, whatever the case may be. And then we got to do it again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, I want you to talk to us about the beauty of using your sport as an escape, but the dangers of not confronting things that are causing pain. Yeah, I think, man, I think that's a loaded question. I think it's so important because it's so true. Like, there's nothing wrong with, using using sports as an escape or using it as as, as a as a safe place because it sports is a beautiful environment and it's something that gives a lot of people the opportunity to change their lives um but there's definitely a, a, a line that could be crossed where if you're not like you said if you're just avoiding things and using it as a way to sweep things on the rug it's going to come out regardless so and that's why i say earlier on when i was wearing my heart my sleep kind of person like when i was outside of baseball um, especially more so like in my just everyday environment, like at, at home, like you can ask Diana, like I'm a very low key person, but yeah. when I got some environments or when I got in, um, when baseball wasn't going well or whatever, like things just, it, it just came out because things were pent up. I swept things on the rug and I didn't address anything. And then in an even more extreme manner of what happened that eventually led to, to my suicide attempt, um, 
it's just one of those things like you can't avoid things forever no matter what you no matter how you go about it like it's just going to come out and when i say that like it's going to come out in whatever way and sometimes it's a way that you don't want something that you're not proud of or something that might actually create something that you have, like a consequence that you have to live with for the rest of your life so mm-hmm. um again i don't think it's it's the worst thing in the world to use sports as an escape at times. Um, but at the same time, like I said, anything can become detrimental if you let it. So um, using that drive to be really good at your, at your craft um, or using the discomfort from maybe the, the home environment to go and be really good at whatever sport you're playing. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, you're going to have to take time to address what you're, what you're feeling with or feeling or what you're dealing with because Again, like I said, it's going to come out whether you whether you like it or not, and yeah, yeah. come out in a way that might create for some people might create a really detrimental habit of like alcoholism or drugs or mm-hmm. uh, for for me it was like short temper, like I was just an angry person mm-hmm. when I was in a, a, like a safer place where, or not around people. I was just angry a lot, um, and for other people it could be more extreme. So like like I said, it's, it's going to come out whether you like it or not. So. It's just for me, that's what I'm trying to do is try to be like a walk reminder. People like go do it in a healthy way, like go see a therapist. Like I, I mean, I'm a man. Um, I grew up in a, an environment that's like the only thing I was talked about was just how cool we could be, like trying to just be the coolest of the cool. And like, why? So why not make therapy cool? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I benched, I benched 300 pounds the other day, but also I went and saw a therapist. Yeah. And we, to make that a cool topic. Like it's, you, if you told someone I benched 300 pounds or I went and ran five miles, everyone that you told that to be like, wow, dude, that's awesome. That's, that's so mm-hmm. cool. But then if you say, oh, also I went and saw a therapist an hour before, they would be like, have that little hesitation. Like, yeah, everything. Okay. Like, no, yeah, everything's fine. I just, I want to be the best version of myself. Just like I, I'm trying to get the best of myself physically with that five mile run. I'm also trying to get the best of myself mentally and emotionally to be the best version of myself, which is only going to help my environment, help the people around me, help me be a more stable person. So no, that's uh, good, man. It's that's just good. Like, a lot of goes into it. So but like I said, I think everything can become detrimental if you let it. Um, and it comes back to the idea of balance. Like it's just, you need to balance things. You need to address things. You need to heal your trauma because unfortunately it can get to a point where it's gets to a really overwhelming feeling and you might not be able to, to, to have the energy or be able to control it. I, I love that, man. I love that. One of the things that I'm going to, I got a question for you, Derek. One of the things that you said is that it's eventually going to come out. You said that multiple times. It's eventually going to come out. It's eventually going to come out. It's eventually going to come out. I want you to talk to us real quick, Derek, just about the freedom um, that people receive, man, when they confront stuff. And a lot of times, Drew, you may, uh, uh, I, I think you would resonate with this. I think a lot of times people look at the word confrontation as a negative thing. Oh, you know, confrontation. You got to confront the problem. You got to confront the issue. Like, no, it, it's not really, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. No. I want you to talk to us about the power and the freedom that you receive when you confront your trauma, when you confront things that are, are, are detrimental, things that are, uh, you know, degrading your performance and your overall well-being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's tough, man, because like, uh, I, I mean, I've shared on here before, just the opportunity um, when I was pastoring my wife and I, you know, for a, a number of years at a church, we had recovery homes. We worked with a lot of guys with an addiction and you would see such freedom with them because we would eventually get them. It's like, Hey, eventually you're going to have to talk about what's going on. What got you to this place? Where are you at mentally? Where are you at emotionally? What went on in your life? How did this start? How did this begin? Where, where was this at? And 
I'll never forget how much that stirred stuff up within myself Mm. because we always see people as like, oh yeah, see they're broken or, oh, they hate themselves because they're a heroin addict or they're a meth addict or they're an alcoholic or whatever. And I started to realize is, you know, there are so many other, you know, uh, quote unquote substances, which in my, for me, it was perfection, perfectionism. What I had accomplished was my drug. Like Mm -hmm. I have to accomplish this in order to be seen as successful. And so seeing that allowed me and helping those, you know, those men and women through that was allowing me to see, oh man, you know what? I got stuff that I need to work out on myself. And, and for me, my, my, you know, a lot of my freedom came through accountability through men in my life that I could open up to that, that I gave the opportunity to speak truth into me, you know, who's at times in my weaknesses, their words meant more to me, Uh, their, their words I chose you know what? I'm going to listen to that more than I'm going to listen to myself. Mm. And that's where we really got to see uh, you. you uh, I've gotten to see so much freedom within my life. And then other men's and women's lives is when they find accountability, when they find somebody they can talk to, like truly talk to yeah. about everything. That's when you see something really open up. You know, yeah. like, I know that was kind of shared in the, in the documentary that I watched yesterday. I was like, did you have people you could talk to? Yes. You know? And it was like, yeah, I did, but I, you know, yeah. And it was when those, when those people that have, you know, that have been in my life or that I've had the opportunity to be that for them and theirs, when they, at, when that clicks, I don't know if there's much, you know, something much more special. Yeah. You know, I, I hear, that. I hear, no, I appreciate you sharing that there. I hear the common thread there um, with what you said and Drew shared. It's like, yeah, I benched 300 some pounds, you know what I'm saying? But I also go and I do this for myself. Yeah. I also I also value the words of this therapist, this person that's trying to help me more so than the negativity that I'm telling yeah. myself. Um, Drew, I have a question for you um, as we as we start to get into some weighty issues here. Uh, once again, if those that are watching have not seen the documentary uh, Alive, um, done in conjunction with ESPN with Drew Robinson, I highly recommend that you watch it. It's yeah. very powerful. Um, you know, Drew, one of the things that uh, y- you did a beautiful job of elaborating what went into um, the failed suicide attempt and the weight of the world on your shoulders. What I want to do is I want to ask you this question. Was there a point? where you said to yourself, man, I, like, I, obviously it's years of buildup, right? But was there a singular moment where you were like, you know what? Nobody cares. You know what? They're not listening. It doesn't really matter. Was there a, was there like a, a point where it just, it started or was it a culmination to where I'm thinking about this, I'm planning this, and now I'm going to try to end my life. How, how, what was the, what was the turning point, the, the pivot, the hard pivot for you? Yeah, I think, I think it's a mixture of both. Like it was a culmination of a lot of lifestyle habits and, and thinking pattern, like thought patterns that I had, um, that just were natural, that just naturally came out of a couple, um, that, like I said, that were in place my whole life, but because of like three main, three main, like three serious life stressors that happened all within a couple months was like the pick the turning point. So like those things that happened to me, I had like culmination of thought patterns that I would apply to those exact, uh, those three um, occurrences. And then the, the eventual um, pivotal point was, it wasn't so much about like no one cares or, or um, I'm alone. Um, while those were definitely thoughts and things I was feeling, 
it was more so the fear of being misunderstood was like the real battle that I had. Um, like, how was I going to be able, how was I going to tell someone, especially like someone I was close with, if I didn't want to tell my therapist, which I didn't tell, but, um, how was I going to tell someone that knows me, that knows the life that I've achieved and lived, um, how I live comfortably financially. I, I have a supportive family, supportive group of friends. Like I had this, at that, like I had a fiance that cared about me deeply. Who was going to understand that mm -hmm. I want life? Like no one's going to understand that. So, cause because of the stigma, right? Like the only people that have mental disorders and deal with depression and all is like people who have, don't have the means who don't have people who care about them and all the, the all the, the things that go into a stigma. But um, so for me, it was just the fear, just like huge, huge um, weight of fear that I was going to be misunderstood if I told someone, I don't know why, man, I don't know why I feel this way, but I'm thinking like, for some reason, I feel like I'd be better off if I wasn't here. Like that takes so much strength in the first place. So like, yeah, that's the other thing. it would have been a sign of weakness. Like my life is so easy and I still feel this way. So that must, that must mean that I'm mentally weak, but like looking back, if I would have and that's why I'm like so, so proud of like all the athletes these days that are talking about openly before they get to a point that I got to, because yeah. I realize now how much strength that would take in the moment and how much accountability and how much awareness it takes to say, dude, I have no idea why I'm feeling this way. But like, for some reason I thought about the other day, how I, how I don't want to be here anymore. Like that would have taken so much strength. And again, it kind of goes back to your last question to Derek or, or to is about freeing, like the feeling of freedom. It's like, the first step of freedom is accountability. And then also mm, the yeah. following thing is like, you realize there are a lot more people in the world can relate to you. So like, it sucks that a lot of people feel these things, but like, I think it's a pretty common thing to just question life every once in a while. Like the most put together person would probably admit if they were in a more comfortable space to admit that they question their life at some point yeah. along with their journey. So like, that's the other thing too. Is like, it, it's just it, it, like, you realize once you start talking about these things out loud, you start to realize if you do it in, in, in like a growth way, you start to realize that a lot more people around you are either feeling similar things just from different situation or different stimuli. But like we're all doing, we're all feeling the same things just from completely different experiences. So um, and I know that's a really long answer, but like, no, it's good, man. Culmination of a lot of bad self-talk habits, a lot of, um, like again, habits of trying to be perfect to create external, external validation and like to be approved and all these things. Um, and then when those things weren't happening and then, like I said, the three things, like when I had my first serious injury, um, got released and I was running out of options or running out of what I thought were going to be opportunities to play baseball, signing out of high school. So not having like a degree or having job experience, not knowing what I was going to do next. Um, and then eventually questioning things with Diana, eventually mm -hmm. calling off a wedding and then going to, to spring training and using, trying to use baseball as an escape. Um, like we've talked about already in this, in this interview, but, um, I was still thinking about it all the time. And then that gets taken away from me because of the pandemic. And then I have to go home and quarantine all by myself. Those three things all added on top of each other in a span of like eight months, um, was just a recipe for disaster. And, uh, like I said, I just, I had no, there was every part of me believed that no one would understand that I said that. So I was like, you know what? Um, no one's going to understand this. I'm hopeless. I feel terrified of the world. I feel terrified. I don't think there's anything left for me. Um, and if I told someone there's, they're just going to judge me. So, yeah. um, let me 
get, let me just get out of here and um, get rid of this pain. So I don't feel this anymore. So that was uh, a lot. And again, I know that's a really heavy reflection and a lot of things to, to dive into, but that's kind of what was going on um, for the buildup of my attempt. No, I, I really, I really appreciate that. That's that cuts deep, man. I, I, I have a question for you in regards to that. Um, was I want to talk about support systems, right? Because I think it's something that we throw around loosely. You know, oh, we, people say, oh, family, oh, friends, you know, loved ones. But d during that time, this obviously dark period in your life, was your support system smaller than you thought, or was it bigger than you actually realized? Both. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I just because I was very, I was just naturally a judgmental person. So I just overanalyzing things. I thought I knew things without actually knowing them. So like I had a lot of assumptions in my life with people and personalities and things. And uh, so I just kind of assumed like my family dynamic, we were a broken family. Um, we have a lot of trauma, not like emotional trauma within each other, like a lot of unresolved conflicts. Um, so I, I didn't feel comfortable talking to them because I felt like, again, we, they wouldn't be able to talk me through it. Um, also because of like, I had just a, a like, a ingrained stigma, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, they're yeah. not professional, so they're not going to be able to help me, um, which isn't true. Like, like I said, people are feeling a lot of the same thing. So like a lot yeah. of people relate to me more than I, more than I was able to realize at that time. Um, but also like, because I was lucky enough to survive, I got to witness how big my support system is. And I think mm. something I've really learned and something this is in hindsight and something I'm really kind of like try to remind myself of is like just managing expectations within your relationship. So like, I'm not going to go to the biggest macho man in my support system and ask him to, to give me a hug or like, or ask him to give me whatever, I'm like something else. So like, knowing what someone can offer you is also a part of knowing what your support system is. So like, yeah, um, if someone's a little bit more old school in my support system, that doesn't mean every single person is. So I can maybe go to Diana to get some like emotional comfort or go to my mom. That's more nurturing, more, um, that kind of relationship. And, and then if I need to go to like someone like help me get some grit or like get me some, like to, to teach me the grind to get through some adversity, go to my dad. Like he's a yeah. worker. Like, managing expectations within your relationship is a huge deal and knowing what someone can, can help you with and knowing what you need to ask from them is a really big deal too, because I just, I was just like, so oblivious to all these things. So I was just like, Oh my gosh, um, this person not able to give it me this, that must mean they can't give me anything. It's like, no, you can get something out of everyone. Um, yeah. Yeah. and not in a way like taking, but just like in a way of like a growth or like a, a learning um, experience from somebody uh, from their life experience or something that they've been through or something that they, they just know about. So it's like, um, it goes so many ways, but I think, and I say that a lot because I've, I've just, I've learned, like, I've realized that, like I said, um, one, one example I use, especially with like, um, Diana is like her uncle, they're from Bulgaria. They're, mm -hmm. they're from a foreign country. He had to come to the States. He didn't know any, of her. he didn't know, he didn't know the language, but he's created this amazing life for himself. Um, so if I needed to like learn about finances or like business, like mm -hmm. I go to him, I'll go to him and ask him some questions, but I'm not going to go to him and talk to him about, um, why I'm feeling depressed because of something that for him might not feel, um, as serious. So 
managing expectations within, within your relationships, I think is a really big part and a really big um, first step to know, like knowing what a support system is all about. I, I do that, man. You could, you could teach a seminar on that, bro. Like, like that's so it's, it, it's so good because yeah, man, like everybody can't give you everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and I'm and so I'll, glad that you that also, puts, also puts them in an uncomfortable place because yes, it's not ask them or those things because and then they might make them feel like they're lacking in their life or in their their uh like support that they're trying to give back to you. So it's like just knowing the person and knowing what you need in that moment. Yes, um, this overall awareness. Um, it's just gonna it's just gonna help everybody, and I think that's why doing the self work. And like I said, with like therapy, um, it helps you kind of start that, that process of learning yourself and learn and being just more aware of what's going on. And then mm -hmm. you can like um, move in the right direction and, and inch your way closer to where you want to be. I, man, I'm so glad you said that. And for those of you who are listening, I, I just I really hope that you listen to what Drew just said about managing expectations, about the support system, because guess what? everybody in your support system it can't talk to you about being gentle and being kind and and meditation and you know what i'm saying reflection or journaling you know what i mean you know it, they can't all tell you about how to you know what i'm saying like increase power in the weight room like having that is so huge man and 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 what it does correct me if i'm wrong but what it does it, it makes you value everybody oh, 100% yeah, my, my dad always used to say, man, you can get something from anybody. Yeah. You know, like, and, and, you know, like Drew hit on, which was good, like not to use them, but it's like, I think that's helpful as a, as a human to be able to recognize and see the good in people mm -hmm. and see how they can help you. What are their, you know, being able to identify strengths and weaknesses. And I think that's huge. I mean, another thing that I don't mean to kind of bounce back to the last question, but I thought something that he brought up was really good is is sometimes is he shared like he got into the thought process like nobody's going to want to hear this i'm all by myself and mm -hmm. this nobody has similarities and that i think is like the biggest lie that a lot of people fall into just even in life not just necessarily into a a suicide or anything like that but just thinking you're all by yourself in this yeah. nobody's going to understand where i'm at and i just think both of those questions we went into is huge because yeah. you'd be floored how many people are thinking the way you're thinking yeah it's you're struggling with what you're struggling with. Yeah, we're we're just like you said, Drew, like we all, you know, it's the questions of mankind, right? That everybody asks themselves. Yeah. Right? Why am I here? Yes. What can I do? Where am I going? Where am I from? Do I even matter? What happens mm -hmm. after this life? Like these everyone asks themselves oh, that yeah. question. What is my calling? What is my calling? What's yeah. my purpose, right? Yeah. Everybody asks themselves that at some point in their journey. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Drew, is, is this in watching your documentary alive, um, one of the things that I really appreciated about you is that you never blamed anybody for anything, dude, you, you never in that entire deal, as riveting as it was, as tear jerking as it was, you never blamed anybody about your plight it could have been ah oh, man these cats sending me down oh man this person doesn't care this sucks why am i not like why are they you never blamed anybody man and it takes a, a different type of strength to do that and i want to just kind of peel back the layers on that where does that come from why didn't you blame anybody and even more and, and even to take it another level when there was this failed suicide attempt 
you actually were, were the one that started comforting other people. Actually went out of his way to actually went out of his way to take ownership. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. talk to us about that, man. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, I get a little worked up with that concept because I was like, that was my main focus. Um, even though I, I was aware that I was getting ready to do something that was just going to devastate people and make a really challenge, make a make for a really challenging um, scenario for people. But um, I was just. I think it comes not to put a negative spin on this because I don't think it's negative, but like I just I always felt like I was kind of an inconvenience, like going back to my childhood because like we we didn't we weren't the wealthiest family. Uh, we struggled financially, we had the the the, the uh, divorce in our family, so I always felt like I was just another really extreme responsibility for my family to take care of me, like just in the most general sense. So I was always kind of wary of just being an inconvenience for others. So I was really conscious before my incident, I was trying to find a way to make the, like this extreme, extreme scenario as easy as it possibly could, knowing that that, like that was never gonna be justified, but I was just, I didn't want to make it, make it harder than it needed to be. But um, I think the, the thing I'm probably most grateful for, um, and it's something that could have happened without, attempting suicide. So I'm not glorifying what I did at all because I'm comfortable saying it was the worst decision of my life. But having the perspective shift of just kind of knowing that I have nothing to lose allowed me to kind of like free, like open up and just realize that this isn't anyone like, like this, no one's fault. It's nothing like there's no one to blame. Um, not even myself. Like I just, I didn't have the tools to help myself through a really challenging time. So there's no one, no one to blame um and it again like that perspective should help me realize that like yeah although baseball was a very stressful environment and i dealt with like performance anxiety and not feeling good enough and all those things at the same time if you someone would give me the keys to go back and start over and do things the exact same way right now i would sign up and go do it all over again like i wouldn't like it was like i said it was very challenging at times um and i didn't know how to handle at times but like baseball and all those and the life stressors and all those things taught me what I know now. And it's like, it allowed me to finally realize that like, although these really challenging times are really uncomfortable and in the moment it, it won't ever make them actually comfortable. But like, I have the understanding now that I can learn something from every situation. And it, that doesn't mean I need to blame someone for anything. It doesn't mean that this, anything is anyone's fault. It's just like, we're all just experiencing this life together. And it's like, when things get really challenging, like inevitably everything will, like someone will have to go through a really hard time. Like at some point you'll, you'll probably learn something that you realize you needed to learn from it. And again, like for me, I feel like I could have learned these lessons without attempting suicide. And that's, that's the hardest part for me is like the regret that that's attached to that. Mm -hmm. But um, again, I just, this was definitely no one's fault. Cause again, I just was able to realize, like, like I've mentioned so many times, like I had a very strong support system. So it wasn't, it was just a, a miscommunication factor. Um, so it wasn't anyone's fault. And, and I don't know, man, like I said, it's a really tricky subject to, to, to talk about, because like I said, it's not the right answer. It's not the right thing to do. Um, and I'm just trying to make the best of it. Like, is a lesson that I can, you can kind of attach to anything like no matter on a small scale, just try to make the best of, of the situation you're in. Yeah. Um, and that's what I do right now. Nah, that's good. Man. Yeah, that's it really good. is. 
that man that that's that's a different type of strength dude um i i just have to say that man that's because not a lot of people think like that um i know i get caught up in you know man what is this cat doing what are they doing what are they doing over there you know what i mean so it's like man just to to own that like that man that's a different type of strength bro so god yeah. bless you for that man appreciate it and it's not like to say that i got it all figured out now like i definitely go fall back into some of those habits and i still do this at times and still go through shoot i mean I even go through depressive episodes um even after my incident having that kind of like awakening i guess you can say mm -hmm. and family feeling those things at times i still take them for granted and i still fall into like suicidal thoughts and things like that so like i said it's just unfortunately that's just the way things are but having that perspective at least in the back of your mind at times that not a, nothing lasts forever good or bad yeah. um it's just uh it's it's it's, it's kind of comforting to have that realization um because in that sense it's like when things are going good just appreciate it because they're not gonna last forever and then when things are going bad don't necessarily appreciate it but just know that it's not gonna last forever and helps you kind of have that little hope in the back of your mind that better days are ahead yeah that's good um this this leads me into my next question thank you so much for your for for sharing um this with us because this has been very it's been very healing man therapeutic man just eye-opening all at the same time you know what i'm saying um when you start looking at teammates right um we all we all know who our teammates are we all know you know some teammates are you know, uh, uh, very uh, extroverted. Some of them, some of them are introverted. Some of them are, can be very spiritual. Some of them don't say a word to anybody. You know what I mean? We've been around all types. You know what I mean? Like they're around all types. You know, but but we all kind of know, right? Like we all, especially man. You know, when you're around people more than you are your family, we all kind of know when somebody's not when it ain't when it's not right when it's not going well with them. And my question to you, Drew, is when you see that, when you sense that, like, man, this cat, man, I don't know, man, this dude's been acting different, or I, I wonder if he's okay, right? What are What is your advice on this side, right, of, of, of everything? What is your advice to, to others when they see teammates that are probably not acting like themselves? Yeah, I think this is, comes back, this is like the idea of just don't hold things back. Um, and you don't need to do it in a in a judgmental way, um, just make it as comforting as possible because you don't kind of similar to what we talked about with like working hard for baseball and, or for the sports that we play, like you don't want to have any, any questions when things are all said and done. So if the, if the most uncomfortable or like if the worst thing that comes from asking someone if they're doing okay, it's just like a little quick little hit of judgment from them. Like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. It's like, okay, <laughs> how, how hard is that to live with that time? So, um it's just worth it man like i said to just straight up ask especially if it's someone that you're closer with that makes it even easier obviously but if it's not just like have a relatability or a comforting tone or experience like hey you know this i might be way off here but it's just something that's been on my mind and something i feel like i've noticed and i'm doing this because i care about you as a person as a human even if i don't know you very well um but is everything okay and like it comes back to the idea of like the physical versus emotional side. Like as an athlete, we're so easily able to say, man, my arm is so sore today, or mm -hmm. man, I'm so sore from that lift yesterday. Like I don't even know if I'm going to be able to go today, but if someone's like just got broken up with in the morning or if their dog died or something, that, that plays a huge toll on your, on your being, like on your emotional well-being. 
Um, so if, to act like you, it's not okay to say that that's affecting you, um, it's, it just sounds like common sense, right? But it's like, that's just the way that we've been accustomed. So like going up and saying, is everything okay? That person might, like I said, one of those things might've happened to them or something, something else. And they might be like, man, I, I, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not doing so great right now, but I'll get through it. And then you just have like this moment of connection and you'll probably realize that you are getting more out of it, not more, but you're getting something out of it as well. And yes. another human being, it's just like, for me, at least I found like connections, my medicine. Like I, I, and I say that kind of like something I probably would have laughed at myself if someone had told me that before, because I never would have talked about anything deeper than movie quotes and shoes and girls and stuff back <laughs> in the day. But now I'm like, and it's still uncomfortable, right? Like, it's not like you say that, that, the confrontation has a negative tone to it but like even if you're doing it in a positive way it's still a pretty uncomfortable thing because you're getting ready to like be vulnerable to another human being and that's always yeah. like um, a little scary but like i said it's it's worth it because at the end of the day worst case scenario if something did happen that's something that you would probably question with yourself later on so like just just go live with it and that comes back to maybe even like a little bit of, of confidence too like just be like dude I'm putting myself out there. I, I, I knew this just because I care about you as a person, as a human. Um, I want everyone to be doing their best. And I understand if, if you're not, so just, is everything okay? And like I said, who knows, that might be like a little saving grace for that person. And again, it'll probably do just as much for you as it does for them. So um, I, that connection, that connection piece of it is just like so powerful. I, I appreciate you sharing that, man, because you know, when we do our training, one of the things that they tell us when you see somebody, you know, out of sorts, if you will, there's beauty and simplicity, right? And what you just said right there is one of the most powerful things that you can say. And I'm glad you said it. Yeah. And it's not anything deep. It's very simple. Is everything okay? That's actually what one of the things that they train us is like, hey, ask them, is everything okay? And, you know, you know how it is. You know how it is. We, we see somebody acting a certain type of way. You know, the first thing that we do as teammates is, we don't even go to the person, right? We go to the uh, other teammate like, man, what's up with old boy, right? Oh, you know, what's yeah, up with, sure, what's up with this sure. cat right here, man? This dude acting oh, different man. right now. He's acting yeah, strange. Yeah. You know, well, why is he acting yeah. funny right now? You know what yeah. I'm saying? We go to, we, our initial response for many people, I know I've done it, is we go to other people and we start talking. Like, what's up with this dude? This dude came in looking some type of way today. Mm -hmm. instead, yeah. of go, instead of going to the person themselves, like you just said, Drew, and say, hey, man, I might be totally off here, man, but are you okay, man? Is everything okay? That right there, especially as you alluded to, when it's done in, a, in good faith and in a good spirit, man, that might be the release that they need. You know what I mean? To be seen, to be ready to be understood. And so, um, and, and, and you said something, Drew, that was powerful. You said you might, you never know, that might be a turning point for them. And um, I know that that always we're not in control of what happens with people's lives. But you shared a story on another podcast about uh, the Hawaii quarterback. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know if you want to share that, but it's so important, man. It's so important to ask people if they're OK. It's so important to check in on people, even if you don't talk to them. You know what I'm saying? Because you just never know. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. if no, you wanna... I mean, like, uh, yeah, like uh, there was a there was a quarterback came out of Hawaii and I was you know, I was competing against him when I was playing for the Redskins. His name was Colt Brennan, really, uh, really good quarterback. Um, they were, you know, breaking all types of records at Hawaii. And, yeah. and so he was pretty highly touted coming out. And um, eventually, I think it was this past year, he had 
he had died from fentanyl overdose. And I just, I thought to myself, um, I cared more about competing against him to the point where I kept separation than I did about developing relationship with just him as a man. And I never even really thought that was that big of a deal because that's just how men competing for a single spot on a roster act around each other. And then I look back and start realizing, you know, did I do, I didn't do anything close to what I should have done for that individual as just a human, as far as just being who I should have been to him, whether he took it or not, it doesn't really even matter. You know, I think that's, that's some thought that, that I know I've fallen into is, uh, you know what, man, he's not going to want me to ask him about his feelings. Yeah. When, when I know there are a, a lot higher percentage than, than they would lead on of men that want to be asked about their feelings. Yeah. I need, they want somebody to care about them. They want somebody to open up to. And there is like, I thought Drew, like you hit on a really good point of finding people and what's best for, you know, the topics and subjects that I go to certain people for. There's also something really special within being able to be vulnerable with another man to be able to see like, when I'm able to do that with my mentors and my accountability, it's like there's such breakthrough within some of that. And I wish I would have done a better job of that in the locker room because what you're hitting on, that's what they want, man. Guys, a majority, you're going to get the macho dude. I'm good, man. Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah, worry yeah, about yeah. what I'm doing right yeah. now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But I do think that's the smaller percentage nowadays because there are guys, man, that want to feel supported and feel like they got a brotherhood going on, you know? And so – I yeah, wish also, I would have done a better job with that. With also, the idea of like what you said too, like they might, they're not going to want to talk about their feelings. Like you might be right. They might not want to talk about it right then, but you just opening that door might plant the seed that when, yes. even though they, they, they're probably aware that they need to talk about something or again, you might be wrong. You might be off, but it's just like you're creating a, 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 a door for communication. Um, so whether you're right or wrong on your reading, like they might be fine. Or they might not be fine and they might not want to talk right then. But you just planted that seed that when if, if it does like continue to get worse and they continue to get a little overwhelmed, they know like, all right, maybe he's not. He didn't ask me today, yeah. but he, he, he brought it up like two weeks ago. And maybe I can go talk to him again because he's willing to talk about these things. So it just kind of it just creates a better environment of like communication, which everyone can agree. Like Josiah said, everyone wants to be seen. Everyone also wants to be heard. Like that's why so many people vent about the littlest minuscule thing. But <laughs> yeah. You just want like people just enjoy being heard. So like on the smallest scale of like venting about something that happened in, in, during your morning or whatever, when you get to work and you vent to your coworker about it, it's like, that's just an idea of being heard and it feels really good. And then like, also when you, like Josiah said, when his example of like, when you see someone doing bad, you go talk about your boys and like, what's up with that guy? It's like, it feels good to like be heard to the, those other guys. Mm-hmm. And it's also ego thing that like, you are like witness, like you're noticing that person not all there and you're kind of gossiping with your boys. And like, it feels good for your ego to say like, I'm not there and I'm doing okay yeah. to, to be like better than them at this point. And it's like, that's not the, that's not the, that's not the goal. Like no, yeah. no one, everyone, if you, if you worded it that way, everyone would kind of agree that that's not a healthy way to go about it. And it's not really something you probably would even be, be proud of if you were to like sit there and actually ask yourself, um, so like the idea of just being heard. And like I said, planting the seed with someone opening that, that door of communi- communication and then, um, maybe stop the, 
the gossiping so much because it's really just an ego thing and it's not creating a connection that like a lot of people are craving. Yeah. yeah that's a much higher percentage chance of them coming back to you too. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, no. like just open it up. The, yeah. Just open it up. I mean, out of everybody in the locker room, the chances of them coming to you are much higher. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. That's good. Like, in a, like a, And from a bunch of my coaches back in the day, like sometimes they would tell me like a, a tip to help me like do uh, like help uh, like a, a mechanical part of my swing or like something in the field or like some kind of instinctual advice. Sometimes I would hear them say it in that moment and be like, I don't know what that, that doesn't really apply here. And then like two years later, I'm like, Oh damn, you know what? Woody was right. Or like, yeah, 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 yeah. they were right. So it's like, you, you don't need to be heard or you don't need to be like understood right away. Um, it could be something that you just like open the door and open this to, and like whether they take it right then or not, it's fine just as long as like you felt like it was the right thing to say or right thing to do. Um, and then if something comes from it, great. If not, who cares? Cause like I said, you're, it's not gonna, it's not gonna truly affect your way of, like your, yeah. your way of living. So just, just attempt to be the best person and the most supportive person. I feel like you, a lot of people realize that's like really what they're probably missing in their life. Yeah. This has been so good, man. And as we get ready to close, Drew, thank you again so much, man, for joining us. There's been a lot of just gems dropped throughout this entire conversation. You start looking at mental health, mental performance, the stigma, you know, that revolves around our minds, right? Um, you have LeBron James is the face of calm. So, uh, Simone Biles is the face of cerebral. You got Michael Phelps, you know, he's like the harbinger for talk space. You know what I'm saying? Like all these different athletes are 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 pushing these these apps and these initiatives obviously what has happened with you has resonated with so many people um in the world of sports and this topic is not going away it's not going away anytime soon uh and there's a healthy way to talk about it and so what i want to do is i want to put you on the spot man as we get ready to close one word right here one word man um if you if you got to use two words you know what i'm saying i guess you can forgive you man but one word you know what i mean one word the thing that I am most thankful for is what Drew Robinson connection connection I love, love what you said love and connection I love what you said earlier man connection is my medicine I love that man <laughs> that was awesome man fill in the blank one word one of the biggest obstacles for today's athletes is what um Social media. Oh, obviously that's a huge, like a very vague thing, but we all know how detrimental social media can be and how um, you can take it either way to, towards the negative side of things or the positive side of things. So I just feel like that's a huge obstacle that not a lot of people know how to balance and including myself at times. <laughs> Man, you just opened up a can. You just opened up a hey, that's a whole you could do it, you could do a whole season just on social media. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the one uh, that I would have said was meta. Meta, metaverse. Meta. Yeah, yeah. Meta. Oh man, that's yeah. crazy. So uh, uh last one right here. What is the most important concept that and again fill in the blank that we have to keep in mind when it comes to mental health? This is loaded. Yeah, um, man. Um, I think the concept that we touched on a couple of times of just balance, balance. Like I said, you can apply it to so many different 
like I said, a spectrums of, of anything. So like I talk a lot about vulnerability and opening up and, and talking about feelings and connecting, but at the same time, it's also like, it's just not realistic to do it all the time. So there's going to be times in life where you do have to kind of grind it out and, and, and show that grit and just be tough and like, and, and grind it out and tough it out. So, um, I think it comes with balance though. Cause like I said, if, if you're always on one end of the spectrum trying to tough it out all the time, if you don't take a break, you're going to break. And then if you're always kind of, um, trying to stay in your comfort zone, you'll never grow. So I think the balance of having the, the time, like we said, being able to do the physical work and then also the, the emotional work of being able to go and take care of yourself physically and working out, but also going and seeing a therapist or doing whatever the, the emotional techniques or modalities that you need to do to create that balance. Cause like I said, if you're always on one end of the spectrum, no matter what you do, your, 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 your soul is going to be craving the other side a little bit. So finding the way to balance it, um, I think is a really applicable um, concept when it comes to mental health. Because like I said, I, especially just coming from a male environment, competitive environment, we are always taught to be on the one side of the spectrum, just tough it out, rub some dirt on it, yeah. you know, all these things. So, and like I said, that's not bad. That sometimes it, life It's calls. needed. We need to do that sometimes. After, because like I said, if you don't, then you never leave your comfort zone. You never learn new things. You never get that growth that you, you desperately need to do at times in life. So um, you definitely need that, that, that grit at times and that toughness. But also I think it's okay to be complimented with take some time to just let things out maybe cry it out every once in a while and tell someone how much you love them and care about them. It's just like having that balance. And like I said, I feel like that's something that a lot of people are craving. And like I said, if you're always on one end, whether you're aware of it or not, you're probably craving the other end of the spectrum a little bit. So finding that middle ground is I think the, the, the big, like most important concept for me, at least. That's great, man. If you, if you, if you don't take a break, you're going to break. And if you stay complacent, you're never going to grow. That's fire. That's fire right there. <laughs> last one. Last one, man. What, what, is the, what is the future of sports, man? Future of sports? Oh, yeah. Given everything that we just talked about today, the highs, the lows, everything in between, what's the future of sports, man? I hope it's, I hope it's what it is now, just with a little bit more balance. <laughs> there you go. You know, but, um, I, I've worded it or compared it a lot to – um, in baseball, like back in the day, you got seriously judged and analyzed for not playing through like physical soreness. And like, if you, I mean, as recently, like as my first couple of years, if I didn't push through like a broken finger, like I was going to be talked about how I'm soft, but now mm -hmm. we have full teams in the training room of like doctors, PTs, athletic trainers, masseuses, like breath work coaches, like all these things that make you feel your best physically, like going in and asking for a massage and just relieve some soreness some muscular soreness is like not even thought about now. It's like, yo, yeah, that, that's going to help you perform later tonight. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think in the future, it's going to be the same thing emotionally. We're like not right now. And it's being talked about more openly, obviously, but it's, there's still that little bit of hesitation to like really letting things out. But like I said, if you have a serious thing happen to you before you get to the field, it's going to take away from your focus to perform later that night. So if you have a place that's right next door to the, the uh the training room to get yourself right physically and there's a, another room right next door that has someone that you can go and talk to and get some like just unload some things it's going to help you perform better so i think uh sports with some more balance and a little bit more uh a little less stigma is just going to create another level of competitiveness and another level of um performance that is inevitably happening because like as we've seen people are like athletes are just getting crazy crazy strong crazy mm -hmm. athletic 
Uh, so maybe the next step is like the, the mental side of things where people are actually able to, to juggle all the things that come with being a really high level athlete. That's great, man. That you can't, you can't really add too much more than that, bro. Hey, <laughs> hey, 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 Drew in closing, man, you have a room, you have a room full of high performers. They've all come to hear you speak and you can share with them anything that you want. And you have one minute to do it, man. We're going to end the interview here with you, man. Just, uh, just an admonition, a charge, encouragement uh, for those who have come to, to listen to you speak. And before, before I give you the mic, man, we just want to say thank you, man. Um, this has been so good, man. Um, it's just like this, the beauty of life, you know what I mean? And just, um, just the gift, man, that, that God has put in you, bro. And just like how you're literally impacting positively um, people that you don't even know or you haven't met yet has just been really cool to watch and really cool to, to listen to today. So we just want to say thank you, man, um, for joining us. It's been really good, man. Um, like I said, in that one of the examples, like this does just as much for me as it does anyone. So I appreciate yeah. you guys taking the time to talk about some, some heavy topics and uncomfortable topics at times. Um, so I appreciate, like I said, it helps me, it helps me articulate things more, helps me understand my emotions a little bit more and, and explain things clearer. So um, I appreciate you guys being willing to talk to me and giving me the opportunity to do so. So, yeah. but to answer your question, I think I'll, obviously if someone's coming to see me speak, if there's an audience, they probably know about my story. Um, so this quote is one that just obviously hits home. It hits me bright in the feels. Um, it's uh, people would rather hear from you than hear about you. And I think that's something that in this topic of suicide is just, like I said, it just, it's so clear, so cut and dry that like my family, my therapist, my friends, they would have rather heard all about my misconception, all the misunderstandings or all the, 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 what I thought would have been crazy things. They would have rather heard me say that than rather than what could have eventually happened of just hearing about me, which kind of did in a sense, mm -hmm. um, let them able to survive. So they got to hear both, but, um, a lot of people don't get that, get that option of hearing from them again. So I think anyone who's questioning themselves, questioning life or hearing or really struggling internally and gotten to a point where they don't feel like they have it all figured out. First of all, no one has it all figured out. And then secondly, um, everyone would rather hear from you than hear about you. Hey, drop the mic on them. That's good, man. That's good, man. Drew, thank you, bro. Thank you, man. Of course, man. Like I said, this is, it's awesome stuff. I, I, I've appreciated you and the work that you've done for, for so long from afar. Um, and then obviously getting on here and talking with both of you and being able to connect with you the way you have has, has been special for me. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you, man. Once again, Drew, uh, for, for Derek Devine and our, our, our special guest today, Drew Robinson, former Major League Baseball player, uh, now a mental health advocate currently for the San Francisco Giants. We want to say thank you for watching. Uh, please follow and subscribe online. Thank you, guys, and we'll talk to you soon. If you like the idea of more people hearing this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us because in doing so, you actually put all things performance in front of more ears and in front of more eyeballs and people will actually know that we exist. So uh, we would love if you did that. Uh, you can follow All Things Performance on Facebook, Instagram, and all of the social media channels. Until next time, God bless you. Take care of yourself and we'll talk to you soon.